just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Welcome, coming to you live from the multiverse of madness, Ned and Jack. And even in the midst of all this chaos, we are here, and we are here for you, and we are here together to save the world. Thanks for coming back and joining us for another week. Listening, friends, we are so happy that you are here and you're listening and you're invested. We love it. We appreciate you guys. Yada, yada. As <laughs> always, I'm Kenyatta. <laughs> and with me is the Tonto to my Lone Ranger. The Sylvester to my Tweety Bird. Jack. Yes. Yes, I am here. I am here, ready to, I guess, fill our fantastic listening friends in with a fairly interesting topic, I think. We think so. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think so. And it's, I mean, it's, it's coincidental. Um, as usual, you know how we, you know how we can get listening friends. So, you know, we're going to dig into it. But first, as always, we've got W. T.F. Moments. Yeah, and it has been a nice, good W.T.F. week. Mm, indeed, indeed. So, do you want to jump in first with what you've got? Uh, Honestly, don't, I, I, don't I don't remember who was last time. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't it. either. <laughs> um, hopefully, we're not doing as we've won or has happened in the past. Because we did not discuss our WTFs beforehand, so hopefully we do not have the same WTF. But mine was hot off the presses right before we went to record that, and my WTF is... Good lord, this Judge Cannon is a horrible judge. She is awful. Has she even read a law book? She is the exact reason... Why Donald Trump does this legal bullcrap that he does is because he's never had anybody hold him accountable. And the problem is, and isn't previous to now, everyone that he's dealt with all of these lawsuit issues where he just extends it out and extends it out and extends it out, is against people that don't have the money to fight back. The U.S. government has a little more money than he does. Just a smidge. So they can outspend them. But... So she granted the special master, and rather than let them continue the investigation on the classified documents, nope, nope, that's, she put the stay on that. They, the guy has until November 30th to review every document, even though he doesn't have the clearance to look at the classified documents. And she also said that Trump's lawyers get to be present as the special master is going through it. Well, the reason Trump wants this information is so he can harass the people that have turned on him. <laughs> and, you know, this dude has never had a consequence. Judges just keep, you know, oh, well, we'll do this. This is a special circumstance. Yeah, we know, because we've never had a president that has, you know, committed treason. And when you have 
everybody, even like people that are lawyers that are conservative, they're like, well, she kind of got this wrong. <laughs> I guess we understand why when she was nominated, she got an F on why she should be approved as a judge and why the Mitch McConnell Senate approved her after the election of 2020. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, anyway, sorry, this just ticks me off because this is a dude. I just say they just go ahead and indict his ass. He's already admitted he did the crime, so... Because the crime isn't that they're classified. The crime is that he has them. And when he tweeted out, or truthed out, if they wanted it back, all they had to do was ask. That was an admission that he had shit he shouldn't have had. <laughs> the part that has always burned my toast is, what on God's green earth made him ever think that it was okay to have them at all? Ever? He's acting like they somehow offended his sensibilities by implying that he was being uncooperative. No. It's the fact that you had him at all and you thought you had every right to have them just because at some point, while you were still in office, you had access to them. Once 12 noon on January 20th, 2021 hit, you cut off. Just yeah. like just like at the bar. You cut off. Okay? Yeah. You have no access to me anymore. So it wasn't that you know, anybody was harassing you or that someone is is accusing you unfoundingly of not cooperating. It's the fact that you had them at all, you nitwit. Yeah. Mm. And of course now there the the thought is that he may have moved documents to one of his other residents. So they're going to have to go through all of this shit again. But, you know, let's just keep... I just... I wish that in the multi... We live in multiverse of madness prime. Dealing with, with what we're dealing with with this man. <laughs> we, are in, we are in the multiverse of madness prime. And if there where? can be a way to swap to go to one where he doesn't exist, that's the one I want to go to. Where is Stephen Strange right? to cast these spells? Where, exactly. where is he? Is he busy? Is he busy with things? Is he taking another sabbatical somewhere on a mountaintop? We yeah. need yeah. some. Some's got to happen. It's, this is not a thing. <laughs> and then to sorry, there's bug flying in my face here. <laughs> sorry. Um, oh God. But He's then to <laughs> right, it's pissed him off. This fly off too, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then today he was on a show, and uh, once again he stated, well, if they indict me, I think there are going to be a lot of people that aren't happy, and it's going to be very bad things are going to happen to the country. Oh, that's not telling your people that if I get indicted to go commit acts of violence. Not at all. But bad things might happen. I refuse, I refuse to commit myself to in any way suggesting that I would encourage it, but bad things might happen. Yeah. Sure, sure. Sure, right. sure. sure. Yeah, okay. That's, I believe it's, what is it, sarcastic terrorism is what that's called? Where you don't do anything, but your words incite other people to commit the act. It's like celebrities, you know, actual celebrities, and their little fan groups, like Beyonce has the Beehive, and Rihanna has the Navy, and I've heard stories about, you know, those fan groups going out in mass on social media attacking people, you know, for insulting these ladies. Right. And if, you know, these people and, and, and these these two women, 
as far as I know, they don't say doodly squat on social media. They are some of the quietest celebrities I've ever seen. In, Which in is probably smart. It is, pro- it is really smart. I appreciate that about them. They're not putting every single bit of business out there. But their fans will. Yeah. Yeah, and that is true. Will, their fans will fight to the verbal death <laughs> to defend yeah. them. So if those people are doing that on behalf of their favorite singers and entertainers, Lord knows we've already seen what Trump's yeah. right <laughs> Trump's uh, opinions have done. No right? doubt. Yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know that the after effects of January sixth they might be causing some people hesitation to try to organize anything in mass again, but I wouldn't put it past. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And uh uh this we need to move on to yours, because I know you have uh, several planned. Uh, mm-hmm. But before I do, I was listening to uh, some pundit on something. I don't remember what it was. But they were pointing out that at this point in the Trump presidency, something like a third of his cabinet and upper-level sort of people had either been fired or quit and oh. replaced. <laughs> And Joe Biden has only had one, and that's Jen Psaki that left as the communications director. I liked her. So that is just such a change in stability. And for a guy that always said that, you know, beforehand that he has some of the best judge of character there is, why do you have so many people that you had to fire? Because you're good at reading people and judging their character. You shouldn't have anyone that you'd have to have fired. Anyway, <laughs> I just found that interesting. But what do we know? Yeah. What do we know? Yeah. We're just I, we're just ordinary people. Yeah, I just found that interesting, and then having stability like that in an, any administration is generally considered a good thing. Yeah. So most just, definitely. Just that thought. So I'm ready to hear your WTF. So there. They're somewhat related, I guess. In the way my, my brain likes to operate, I try to relate these kinds of things together. But they have me not enraged in equal amounts, but enough, there's enough outrage for either story that I, I had to address both of them. I did. And, and really, there's, there's still more on my mind than just these two, but these two kind of stuck to me the closest recently. So, um, the first one, is a story about a, a young lady in Iowa who, back in June 2020, uh, 15-year-old Piper Lewis was arrested for stabbing to death the man that had kidnapped her and was allegedly trafficking her. Um, she was a runaway, and mm-hmm. she was sleeping in a, a hallway of an apartment building when a 28-year-old Zachary Brooks. Well, excuse me, another man uh, who was 28 year old, 28 years old, took her mm-hmm. and yes. then forcibly trafficked her to other men for sex. So one of those men was uh, the Zachary Brooks. Apparently, he had raped her multiple times in the weeks before his death. And in tr- at trial, uh, she recounted uh, being forced at gun- a knife point by the 28-year-old to go with Brooks to his apartment 
and she told officials that after Brooks had raped her again, she grabbed a knife from a bedside table and stabbed him in a fit of rage, apparently over 30 times. So, of course, she's arrested. Oh, well, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, apparently, Iowa, though, is not among the dozens of states that have a so-called safe harbor law that gives some measure of protection to trafficking victims. So, unfortunately, she was at the mercy of the courts on this one. And, and let's consider that she was a runaway. She had run away from her adopted mother, who she was having trouble with. So, naturally, she had a public defender, which, just for the nature of most public defenders in most jurisdictions, underfunded, and they have way too many cases on their plates anyway. So, I'm pretty sure she was underrepresented. And she um, ended up pleading guilty to involuntary manslaughter and willful injury. So she was subject to 20 years in prison, but the judge deferred the prison sentence, put her under five years of supervised probation, and then ordered her to pay $150,000 restitution to the man's family. Now, so, so he just raped her again. So that is apparently a law in Iowa with this kind of charge, especially because she pled guilty. That it's mandatory that the offender pay restitution to the victim's family. Obviously, we know what the the issue is here. Hmm. And and prosecutors apparently said, well. She didn't have to stab him because he was asleep. She could have just got out. These people have zero concept of what it is to be a young girl in this circumstance. Zero. Because unfortunately, this is not the first case of a young girl being kidnapped and forced into sex trafficking and having to get out of it the only way they knew how. And that was to commit some violence. That's what they knew to do. That's all they needed to do because in a lot of instances, unfortunately, when these girls, let's just say she was able to get out of the apartment and run away. Who's to say he went to found her or somebody else that knew him went to found her and brought her right back? Because I've heard yeah. that happen before as well. She's 15 at the time. She's already, she's already processing some level of trauma having to run away from, you know, what apparently is an unhospitable situation. She's homeless. Someone just snatches her up and says, hey, you're going to come do this, this, that, and the third with whoever we tell you to do it with. Right. I can't fathom what would be going on in a young girl's head in those circumstances. So I'm not going to be the one to judge and say whether or not she should have done this or should have done that. Regardless of that, to make her have to pay money to his family? Yeah, that that's insane. And it just kind of, it, it, it just reinforces the idea that I've had for a long time, how very little regard a lot of institutions in this country seem to have for young girls, especially young girls of color. That's, I would say this year has proven that to a large segment of the population, they don't care about women hmm. in general. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt from, you know, the more obvious instances of this, just like you said, to cases like this. It's disgusting. And I, I was so disgusted when I read that. I was, because like I said, I had read in, you know, in, in a few years past about at least two other 
No, I take it back. At least half a dozen other cases like this around the country were girls who had been either sex trafficked or uh, having no other way to support themselves had turned to sex work and had been attacked mm-hmm. at some level by by somebody and had committed violence to defend themselves. And, and they got hit with stuff like this. Instead of taking these girls somewhere safe, giving them some therapy, and right? trying to help them work through these kinds of situations, instead, you're going to put her on what was called closely supervised um, house arrest, basically, I guess, or probation. Basically. Yeah. The judge says the next five years of your life will be full of rules you disagree with. I'm sure of it. You putts. How dare you say this to this girl? Come yeah, on. I know. I was so upset. I was so upset. I, I just don't really have any. <laughs> I mean, I have things to say, but mm. we have a scheduled program, mm. and I'm <laughs> just really upset with hearing about this. <laughs> I, trust me, I know, I know. And the other half, which is, like I said, somewhat related, again, and it falls in the purvey of people always wanting to give shit to young women of color. It was earlier in the week, or maybe late last week, a little mini, a little mini teaser trailer for Disney's live action remake of Little Mermaid. Oh, yes. So. Uh, I caught the teaser trailer. It's only a couple of seconds. And the young lady that, and this lady, this young lady was selected for this part back in 2019. It was so a she, big deal then, I remember too. People it, it were was. ticked off about it. And then they forgot it about it. Mm-hmm. As, as will happen. And then they dropped the teaser and people lost their minds again. So, the young lady is named, uh, Hallie Bailey. And her, along with her sister, Chloe, were part of a, a singing du- a duo, uh, Chloe and Haley, um, discovered by Beyonce some years ago. And they've, they've since kind of split up and they're doing their own separate things right now. So, you know, just we mentioned she was selected for this part back in 2019 and then COVID happened. So a mm-hmm. lot of plans got pushed back and they dropped the teaser trailer and I thought it was, I thought it was gorgeous, you know, from the CGI special effects, and then she sang Part of Your World. And The Little Mermaid wasn't necessarily one of my favorite Disney movies, because, you know, that was during my, you know, like when our kids were growing up, those are the Disney movies that were out then. So yeah, I, I've, I've seen it a time or a thousand. Yes. <laughs> and so... um It wasn't one of my favorites, but I enjoyed it, you know, well enough. And she sang... um like the last line, I think of like I think it was the chorus, "Part of Your World." She has a beautiful voice. She's it's absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. And the trolls come out from uh, yeah. the deep dark depths of the sea to once again complain about it. And people have the gall to sit up here, and the basis of their complaint is like, "Well, she doesn't have red hair. She doesn't look like Ariel." First of all, knuckleheads, the internet and Google is your friend, okay? So the same internet that you use to get on social media and type that up is the same one you could use to Google the actual original story 
The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen, a Dutchman. If you knew anything, you'd know The Little Mermaid in the story was green. Her sisters, well. her sisters used to murder sailors. There's a whole, a whole different vibe in the original story than what Disney chose to, to, to take it. They made right. it much, much fluffier, frothier, family friendly, and they gave the Little Mermaid a name. She didn't even have a name in the original story. So they know nothing about what the original was supposed to be like. They're just stuck on the Disney version. Yes. Exactly. So, but instead of saying they, they're incredibly uncomfortable with the idea of their image of what Ariel's supposed to look like, instead of saying that they prefer this, this milky skinned cartoon over this obviously melanated young woman now playing in a live action version, but her hair's not red. But, but, but the original story is, is, is by a Dutchman. Right. Are you listening to yourselves? You are grown people, and this is a fictional story. Right. What a mermaid. In yes. the fictional story, guess what? You get to take artistic liberties. Yeah. And for people to be have their their knickers in nuts because they can't stand the idea of seeing something different than what they're used to, which is pretty much like. I think a summation of what's wrong, you know, pretty much with the world at large. These are the things that you address on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. You have grown <sighs> folks falling out over this. It kills me. I'm like, but these are it, the excuses you prefer to use that she doesn't look, quote unquote, like she should. We know what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same people every time. Every time. Just. It is so weird that there's this whole subgenre on YouTube of people that are right-wing pop culture uh, commentators. So they view every single thing pop culture that happens in the world through this MAGA lens. And everything pisses them off. And so I knew when they said the trailer was coming out, I was like, ah, shit, here it starts. Because I knew that it was going to start. I knew precisely who it was going to be. I knew the people on my Facebook friends list that were going to be up in arms over it because they're up in arms over everything like this. And for a bunch of people that call, you know, liberal snowflakes because we don't like to see, say, somebody lean on somebody's neck for nine minutes while they're dying, we're snowflakes because that pisses us off. But you're mad because, you know, a fictional mermaid isn't crackery enough for you? Putting that in my verbal repertoire. You understand it, don't you? <laughs> but I, but it, that's the irony of it. They're, they're calling the rest of us, us, quote, sensitive. But let's, let's just, and I can think out the top of my head, you were mad about the racist baby book. You were mad about Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. You were pissed off about Minnie Mouse having pants and Dr. Seuss. Seuss. So, and now it's the Little Mermaid. What's next? French fries having the word French in them. Um, you know, Black Panther being called Black Panther. What's, I'm I'm honestly surprised that wasn't a bigger thing. Like we're getting ready to get part two in November. I'm waiting. Well, my problem with that has always been that panther is a generic term for lepers, 
and jaguars, and he really should have been called Black Leopard. It doesn't ring the same. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I was jesting, folks. I wasn't being serious. Well, the part about panther being a generic term is correct. I'm not lying about that. But no, Black Panther is far cooler than Black Leopard. But like I said, it's just any any time you see these instances where, and we were talking about this offline. As a matter of fact, I think. I mean, I, well, actually, I think you had a post about it on your Facebook about people having trouble anytime the ethnicity of a fictional character. Right. Shows. Yeah. Like, and I mean, we've seen it recently in a couple of fantasy shows that have just come out, um, House of the Dragon and um, Rings of Power. Yep. People have lost their collective shit that they have the nerve to have melanated people in those shows. Well, it's not like that in the in the book. Right? Are you are are you how you were supposed to be in the book? Because if I wrote your book, I would be disappointed in how you developed, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, let's just get mad about this stuff and go to up in arms. If only they put this much effort and energy into being mad about, you know, unwarranted extra long prison sentences because somebody had a joint. Or, you know, laws that require uh, victims, let's say, in states like Iowa to have to pay restitution to the family to of her mother. Their kidnapper. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. yeah. yeah. But fuck it. Let's get mad let's about get, mermaids. Let's get mad about mermaids. <laughs> let's get mad about that. So that's what I have. Yeah. That, that's how I feel about it. And that's what I have. So. And I. Yeah. No. That's. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely some some what the fucks. <laughs> yeah, it melted your cheese a little bit, didn't it? Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's funny that you said toast earlier about burnt your toast and melt your cheese. I have always said that if mutant superpowers were real, like in the X Men, that I would have been stuck with some useless ass superpower like the ability to toast bread. And that would have been it. Nothing else. Nothing helpful to humanity. Just, hey, put that bread in my hand. It'll be perfectly toasted. That's how the universe would have paid me out. <laughs> so, I know you're familiar with the boys. Yes. Did you ever watch the animated series that did Diabolical? I did not. Ho, oh. <laughs> Someone yeah. has that power? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like Diabolical is like an animated you know, spinoff of the show. Like every episode is, um, some of the episodes have some of the characters from the show and then some of them are kind of related to the, the boys universe. And there's one episode in particular that focuses on just that, uh, soups with absolutely useless powers. Yeah. Put that on your list. That's worth, <laughs> that's worth checking out. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe with a little extra practice, I could, you know, Grill up like pineapple or something too, but yeah. <laughs> you would anyway. be you would be the main attraction at the yearly neighborhood uh, cookout. That's right. That is correct. That is like, correct. Do you want your corn lightly toasted or just singed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I digress. Back to the subject at hand. <laughs> Indeed. And that is this week. Yeah. Banned books. 
Yeah. Yes. In that is interesting. Yeah. It is. In case listening friends, you didn't know. I didn't know until some weeks ago when I um, dropped this idea on Jack that the last full week in September every year is Banned Books Week. So this year, the last full week in September is the 18th through 24th. And that's when the focus is on banned books. So at your local bookstores, like your Barnes and Nobles and such, you'll probably see displays set up for banned books. And that's what we're going to get into today. We are. We are. Obviously, uh, once the printing press was invented, mm. banning books became a thing, because before that, you know, there weren't exactly just tons of books to ban because they were ticking people off. Not that there weren't books, but, you know, I mean, when people are handwriting them, there is no Barnes & Noble. <laughs> so Yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> but in the United States and then the colonies before it became a country, there was, uh, due to the Puritan nature of the U.S., there were banned books that it did happen, and there were, uh, you know, people kind of made tracks beforehand that they would hand out. And there was a guy that... Um, he had one that was so, so horribly bad and evil that not only did they ban it and destroy all but three copies of it, because there are only three that are left, uh, they killed the dude. But <laughs> other than that, I uh, sort of decided as I was doing this to start with, um, this is going to be shocking, around the time of just before the Civil War. <gasps> People are being censored? I know. I can't believe that. Shock. And this is probably also going to shock you. It started in the South. And anything that was anti-slavery was banned. <gasps> Heaven forbid. I know. It's crazy to think that that's what occurred. I'm so glad that we as a people have been able to move forward past that nonsense. Yes, I I really am too. Mm. Can, that, you, can you give us a little more? On, on you know thing? what? I think I'm going to, and I'm going to start oh. by reading uh, not all of it. It is just a portion of this article from National Geographic by Baron Blakemore, and this was published on September 6th of this year. And I'm jumping ahead to where we start in the Civil War, or with slavery in the Civil War. And um, here's the reporting from uh, the reporter. In the first half of the 19th century, materials about the nation's most incendiary issue, the enslavement of people, alarmed would-be censors in the South. By 1850... By the 1850s, multiple states had outlawed expressing anti-slavery sentiments, which abolitionists Author Harriet Beecher Stowe, you knew she was going to be on this list, <laughs> defied in 1851 with the publication of Uncle Tom's Cabin, a novel which aimed to expose the evils of slavery, which I believe it did. And so, obviously, you know, that's sort of where it started, because you can't have anything that would, you know, make people not agree with slavery. So that's got to be stopped. Mm, immediately. And, yeah. And um, that's really sort of a, if you wanted to do like a banned book banning thing, 
pre-Civil War that led up to that. That's probably an episode all on its own. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just going to sort of move on on this timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the next sort of big thing that happened after that, um, ironically enough, really only started about 10 years after the Civil War ended, and that is in 1873, the war against books went federal with the passage of the Comstock Act which was a congressional law that made it illegal to possess obscene or immoral texts or articles or send them through the mail. And it was championed by moral crusader Anthony Comstock. And the laws were both designed to ban content about sexuality and birth control, which at the time was only available via mail order. Uh, The law criminalized, criminalized the activities of birth control advocates and forced popular pamphlets like Margaret Singer's Family limitation under uh, underground, restricting the dissemination of knowledge about contraception at a time when open discussion about sexuality was taboo and infant and maternal mortality were rampant. It remained in effect until 1936, which um, our friends that are, say, Republicans, I think would love to have that uh, Comstock Act uh, brought back. Based upon some of the stuff that they have said. (laughs) I don't doubt it. But um, obscenity was also a prime target in Boston. And um, let's see. uh, The state had sanctioned the first book burning in the U.S. where Boston's book censors challenged everything they considered indecent from Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass, to which the society's presidents called a darling morsel of literary filth, to mm. Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms. I'm sorry. A darling morsel of literary filth? Yes. I love it. I do too. You know what? That's what we need to put on our shirts when we finally have merch. A darling morsel of societal filth? Let me write that down. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. Well, while you write, I will continue. This is what I actually found interesting. By the 1920s, Boston was so notorious for banning books that authors would intentionally print their books there in hopes that the inevitable ban would come because the publicity boost would (laughs) increase sales elsewhere in the country. (laughs) I find that Mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, as social... uh, Things relaxed in the 20th century. School libraries remained sites of contentious battles about what kind of information should be available to children in an age of social progress and the modernization of American society. Parents and administrators grappled over both fiction and nonfiction during school board and library commission meetings. Hmm. Things have a way of coming back, mm-hmm. don't they? Indeed. And uh, the reasons for the proposed bans varied. Some books challenged long-standing narratives about American history or social norms. Hmm, that doesn't sound familiar. At all. And others were deemed problematic for its language or for sexual or political content. Also doesn't sound like anything happening right now. No. And this next part, shocking, also doesn't sound <laughs> like today. These attempted bans tended to have a chilling effect on libraries and librarians who were afraid to acquire material that could be considered controversial. 
Some schools and public librarians uh, began to organize instead, and they responded to the rash of, the, rash of these challenges uh, against books in this uh, McCarthy era of censorship, because by then it also added communism or socialism. But then they also, was when they started to ban, want to ban stuff like Huckleberry Finn, The Catcher in the Rye, To Kill a Mockingbird, or even The Canterbury Tells. And so then we're going to jump up to 1969, and that is when the Supreme Court weighed in on a student's right to free expression in the case Tinker versus Des Moines, a case involving students who wore black armbands protesting the Vietnam War to school. The court ruled 7-2 to that neither, neither teachers nor students shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Hmm. And that sort of helped with uh, book banning at the time. But of course, where there's a will to be a bigot, there's a way. Uh-huh. And to censor stuff, there is a way. So uh, from 1969 through the 1980s, there were various lawsuits, various cases about book banning. And then... Uh, here we're going to get back to modern censorship. But book challenges are now more common than ever. Between July 1st, 2021 and March 31st, 2022 alone, there were 1,586 book bans in 86 school districts across 26 states, affecting more than 2 million students, according to PIN America. Uh, it's a nonprofit that advocates for free speech. Stories featuring... LGBTQ plus issues or protagonists were major targets of the ban, while other targets included books with storylines that involved race and racism, sexual content or sexual assault, and death or grief. And oh, 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 and, and also, um, if I understand correctly, vampires, werewolves, and other supernatural creatures. <clears throat> yes, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Just encompass <laughs> that all under. Satan. Okay. Right, right. (laughs) And um, this may be shocking to anyone that has paid attention. Texas led the charge against books. Uh, uh, In Texas, there have been 713 books banned, which is double that of other states. And the most banned or the most challenged or banned book in 2021 was Mayaya Kobades. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and I apologize to the author. Um, but the book is Gender Queer, which is a memoir of what it means to be non-binary. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some of the other books on that list include Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give and Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Uh, of course, you know, people are fighting back on that, uh, as, as should be the case. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the news... Uh, This next one came from USA Today, and it's just banned books in the news, just sort of a summary. Um, Summer Boismir, who is a former high school teacher here in Oklahoma, she resigned in opposition to the new state law, which banned certain race and gender concepts from schools. And then Oklahoma Secretary of Education Ryan Walters has called for her teaching license to be revoked. And this dude, this man is now running to be the... um, the head of the Department of Education, the Secretary of Education. It's sort of weird. There's two things. On the governor's um, cabinet, there's a Secretary of Education, and then there's the a secondary that actually administers the schools and all of that that's sort of in charge of all the schools in Oklahoma, and my brain isn't thinking of the name. 
he is running for that. He's the Republican person. And this is a man who has said that if I'm he... Superintendent? Yes, thank you. The state okay. superintendent of education. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Oh, um, I know who you're talking about because I saw that video of him. Yeah, this is a man who, if he gets elected to that position, has said that he's going to no longer accept federal education funds because then we won't be, holding to, be beholden to Washington, D.C., so if you know anything about Oklahoma, you will know that from 2010 to 2018, our economy was in the tank. There were massive budget cuts from the state uh, and state government. Massive. My particular state agency from 2011 to 2014 had a 48% budget cut. Um, it had, I want to say it, it was one of the, the least amounts. I want to say it was maybe all told through all those years, maybe like 15, 20%. Still not good. But, uh, during that time, there was a bunch of school districts in Oklahoma that had lost so much funding. The only way they could uh, fix it was to only have school Monday through Thursday. Why do I feel like I read about this? I think I did. Hmm. So schools are only just now really getting to where they're above the funding levels pre-2010. Okay. And this guy wants to get rid of federal funds? What, do you want us okay. to go back to three days or three day school days, weeks? Okay. Here's the thing. I, I'm pretty sure I know who this dude is. I got to go. I'll go look it up later. If, and if he's anything like that little video I saw him record, he's, he's a frightening man. Um, yeah. And saying that he doesn't want to accept federal funds so he doesn't have to be pulling to, to, to the federal government. He's really cutting off the collective nose to spite the face. He honestly is. Because the schools obviously need it. Well, but yeah. he doesn't. He wants to be able to dictate down to the letter what kids will be taught and more likely what kids won't be taught. And that's gross. You can't tell me that a person like that has the best interests of children in mind. You can't. He's only concerned about control. Period. Yeah. He doesn't, and, he doesn't care about educating the kids. Yeah, and when you hear people that are on the left that um, over the past six months or so have started saying things like the Republicans' next goal is to get rid of education. <laughs> and you hear and you see something like this, you kinda have to think to yourself, that's not an exaggeration. It's not. It, it doesn't sound like it. And the best part about this dude, if I understand correctly, he had no education-related any type of experience before he became the Secretary of Education under our current governor's uh, administration. So why the hell should he be the superintendent? Anyway, I guess they got the idea from Trump with Betsy DeVos. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sounds like someone we know. Moving on. Uh, moving on. Tennessee schools have removed more than 300 books. Uh, and any books that they think, this is going to be shocking. Any book that they think pushes the Black Lives Matter agenda has been banned. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking. I guess, I guess they don't have any copies of the 1619 Project out there. Probably not. Yeah. And let's see, in West Michigan, the community, uh, a West Michigan's only community library might close in a battle over LGBTQ books. 
the library staff is refusing to pull the books, and so the I guess there was a special election, and the in the township residents voted to defund their only library. Uh, and also now librarians are becoming targets uh, where they're being followed home and people are, you know, calling them and harassing them online and calling them perverts and groomers and throwing shit at their cars and their houses. Cause you know, that's precisely what Jesus did. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, yeah. And then, uh, a Texas school district pulled all books from library shelves and classrooms that were challenged by parents lawmakers and other community members in the last year and this is actually one of my favorites and i i don't it's my favorite because i love the irony because uh, there's something i refer to as the law of unintended consequences hmm. and that is anytime you do something or pass a law there's always an effect or a couple that you can't foresee happening yes. but sometimes the law of unintended consequences is because you may not actually know the subject or the material that you're passing a law on. So in Texas, their law states that if there is too much violence, sex, or incest, that the book must be pulled or banned if challenged. So I know of a book that has been around for a long time. It was the first book printed on the printing press, and it has several <laughs> stories of incest in it. There's also a lot of violence in that book lots of talk of foreskin and that would be the bible <laughs> i shall smite thee <laughs> yes and if you're listening to this and you think i'm bsing you just remember lot's daughters after they left sodom were in a cave and he was drunk and uh, his daughters boned him same thing happened with noah after the flood abraham was married to his half-sister so that's incest uh, his son Isaac was married to his cousin, and Jacob was also married to a cousin. All of those things are also incest. <laughs> you know, not to mention all of the sort of other stuff, the adultery that occurred. And so there was somebody that went to the school district and said, hey, you have to take the Bible off the shelf because it meets all of these qualifications. So the school district removed the Bible as per the Texas law. My thing is, though, what, what's the measure of, quote, too much? Apparently just mentioning it. Like, you can literally have, what, one one word of vulgarity in there. Probably. Shit. <gasps> we gotta get it off the shelves. Oh, my God. Our, podca our, our podcast is banned in libraries throughout Texas. Because I mean, now we've actually talked about incest, so now the podcast can be banned in, <laughs> in school libraries in Texas. And some some fluffer nut is going to go take, you know, the phone that they've been listening to the podcast on and throw it out in the front yard and um, stomp on it. Yeah. Um, the funny thing was, after that happened, there was a local pastor that tweeted about, he said, I warned you, I told you that the libs were going to be coming after the Bible next. The libs. And, of course, it kind of went, Maybe not full-on viral, but semi-viral. And there was something like 10,000 retweets, but with basically people saying, you know that Republicans passed the law that got the Bible banned. It wasn't liberals. You guys did that. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should actually know what's in the Bible that you preach from 
before you pass laws making the Bible <laughs> bannable. <laughs> so that that's the part I find funny is they really just went and did it to themselves, you know, as you were saying, oh, they cut off their nose to spite their face. <laughs> and so anyway, that's sort of uh, that article from USA Today. There was more to it. This is just sort of the, the parts that tied in with what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then the American Library Association, uh, it keeps track of all the various challenges and bans across the country. And um, the most recent data is alarming. Basically, is what they're saying is that tw- since uh, 2021, there have been more books banned since they started recording data in 2000. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that number is almost 1,600 books. But if you think about it, it might actually be higher because there's probably books that have been banned that haven't been reported or just kind of quietly went away. Probably. Probably. And, Most likely. Yeah. yeah. And, and as I mentioned before, um, here are the, the, t- the top ten list. Uh, some of these I mentioned, but I'm going to read the whole thing. Genderqueer, uh, mentioned before, is number one. Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison is two. The Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Out of Darkness by Ashley Hope Perez. The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl by Jesse Andrews. And The Bluest Eyes by Toni Morrison. Um, this title alone probably is why this one got banned. This book is gay by Juno Dawson. <laughs> Ironically enough, it's about a really happy person. Oh yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Beyond Magenta by Susan Kuklin, and those are sort of uh, that is the top ten. Obviously, there are more books that are going to fall on that list, but I. Don't have time to read sixteen hundred banned books. Lord yes. Did did you notice one called Funhouse by Allison Bechtel? I'm not sure, honestly, because I was sort of going through and it was like, oh my god, and I just sort of went. This yeah. was, you know, their list of the top ten, and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to keep going. As everyone knows in the U.S., any list that goes beyond ten is more than we are capable of handling. Whether they call it TLDR, too long didn't read it. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I mentioned I mentioned that one in particular because um, my daughter was assigned that book in one of her classes when she was still in school, and it is um, what she call it uh, an American tragic comic. I think it's the subtitle, and the author illustrated herself. It's sort of like you can say the graphic novel was real simple black and white illustrations, but she's it's it's uh, autobiographical about her discovery of her own sexuality, and then over time how she learned about her father and the <laughs> conflicts that he had, um, struggling with his sexuality as well. It's a very good book, and Bechtel is um, also well known for developing what's called the Bechtel test. Yeah, there's a podcast named after that, The Bechtel yeah. Cast. Yes. And I found it fascinating when I found out it was one and the same because, you know, my daughter had the book. And ever since she's been little, 
you know, I've always paid attention to the stuff she reads. So even when she was in school, she had books that she'd bring home, some of them she would keep, and this is one she had kept. I was like, what is this? Oh, you gotta read it. It's good. So, I always have like a stack of books waiting to be read somewhere. So I picked this up one one night, and I think I made it through in like two days. It was that good. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's very stark, but very revealing as far as a coming of age type of story. But, um, and it's, it's, it's sad. There's some, there's some, some things going on in there that are, um, as the title says, tragic, but it's very telling. And not to go too far ahead of ourselves, cause I'm, I'm probably going to end up coming back to this, but it's amazing how a lot of these banned books are related to people that supposedly fall out of, outside of the, the white straight narrative, so to speak. It, it's no so, coincidence whatsoever. I mean, yeah, or books that point out, you know what, we've been shitty to people. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because we wouldn't want that. The funny thing is, though, or the ironic thing, that always seems to pass up these book banners is, you know, well, you can't have somebody read a book about a gay character. It might turn turn our children gay. Well, if reading books made people do certain things, there'd be a lot more people that acted like Christ than currently do. Because a very large majority of people in this country grew up from infancy going to church and having the Bible read to them, and specifically Jesus and what Jesus said. And if more people... Because, you know, he was all about love. Love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Feed mm -hmm. the poor. Mm -hmm. So if reading a book could do that, you would think that there would be a lot more of Jesus-y behavior in this country. <laughs> and what's, I, I don't want people, this isn't like dogging on Christian or religion, whatever the religion is. The book generally tries to teach, you know, be nice to people. Sure. Not always the case. And nope. If reading books did that, I'm just saying there might be a lot more nicer people. Sure, and and just not to go off on a tangent too far, but it just it reminds me of how many times I see people mention the quote unquote gay agenda. Right. Um. I I I need every single one of them, and there's some people I know personally that are stuck on this. I'm like, and I've I've asked them straight up, what is that? What is the gay agenda? Do you have um like a checklist? Is there like an itinerary of, you know, a timeline? How Do they have conventions? I mean, exactly. What's what's supposed to happen here? I mean... Do you really freaking think when roughly 4 5% roughly self-identify as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and you're telling me that eventually the quote-unquote agenda is going to turn everybody... From straight to not straight, you're out of your freaking oh. mind. Go it, outside and touch some grass. You're ridiculous. Stop there, it. That's there's always been gay people. So when always. did the gay agenda start? Was it like in ancient Rome? Something. You know, did it? When Caesar was emperor? Well, I mean, he, he wasn't maybe not Caesar long enough. Augustus, who came after him, when he was emperor, was there a bunch of you know? LGBTQ weren't called that at the time. Don't know what they were no. called, but were they like, you know what? They're plotting. Augustus really isn't isn't too good for us. Maybe we should form an agenda. Yeah. And if that's when it started, it is the slowest 
freaking moving agenda in the world. Like, sloths could outrun this agenda. It's not Right? <laughs> so it's when did this agenda good. start? <laughs> and then on top of it, I also know people that they're like, well, this is just a, a product of modern Western civilization. You know there are gay people in China, in Taiwan, in There's Vietnam. Everywhere. Right, this that's is, my point. <laughs> it's, it's not a new thing, folks. It's not. It's not new. As long as human beings have existed, there has been that. This right. is not new. Stop doing that. It's utter nonsense. Stop insulting people. I, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say there were probably gay Neanderthals too. Yeah, you know? I'm just. But, uh, I'm just saying. We are saying. But and, you know, I didn't want to go off too far off. Um, I just I had, I had to get that out though. I had to get that out because that's yeah. that's like the argument for banning those kinds of things. Yeah, They're and for those paint our children. And for those that say that it's not natural and it's only humans, you need to go and learn about bonobos. Something. Because bonobos go, don't care. <laughs> go to your local library for as long as they still exist. <laughs> Right? <laughs> while they're still funded. While they're still funded, or the internet, while it's still, you know, open. Something. Yeah. Do something. Educate your damn selves. Okay, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And listening friends need to apologize. Uh, if you hear a loud bark in the background, something has apparently upset Higgins. And he is not stopping. And, sorry, that's life with a dog. He's upset about this, too. He understands. Right? He's he he's quite the reader. He stands in solidarity with us. Yeah. So, are there any any is there any one or two or a couple of books that you in particular enjoy that have shown up on these band book lists? Um Well, I wasn't prepared for that, Kenyatta. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um I've read uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, and obviously, you know, Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. And while clearly the N-word is used in in those books, unfortunately, it's a product of the time. Not justifying it, I'm just saying it's a product of it the is. time. But I don't think that you should ban that because it says that, obviously, because it's important to learn that was the product of the time. That's how people were. And we have, it's good to see, hey, we started here, but we're past that now. But are we really past it? Because apparently we're not. When you mentioned Kill a Mockingbird, I had, I had read that years ago and I picked it back up late last year. I think I borrowed it from my mom. I wonder if she's looking for it. Anyway, and I read it again for the first time in I don't know how many years. And I don't, I was, I don't know why I was shocked at how often I saw that word. And it was in certain instances, if you know, you know, if you know the story of the killing mockingbird, Atticus Finch, who's like, I guess you could say, he's not the main character, he's the father of the main character. Um, it's, it's narrated from the viewpoint of his young daughter. He's a lawyer that defends a black man that's accused of killing one of the white residents in the town. And the way the, the word is used, in the most, in the, the way that we hear it most often in, in a derogatory, disrespectful sense. But it's also thrown around by the kids. You know, in addition to the main character, the young girl, she has a brother. And the kids 
and other people in the town throw the word around like real casual, as though that's that was nothing more than a a, a passive description of somebody. Well, you mm-hmm. know that, and they wouldn't say it in a mean way. In in the context they were saying it, it wasn't mean. They were just saying it as a matter of fact, and I was like, wow, yeah. And that has had, like you said, a lot of calls to be banned for that reason, and and not just by by a lot of black families. And yeah, problems. yeah. But I, I, I do know I, that part. Yeah. Right. I see. I see why. But then I'm also. I also agree with you when it saying it's relevant to know from whence we came, because yeah. we've gotten past thinking that that was okay to say in casual conversation. Well, you see that walking down the street. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, hold it. Yeah, no, and the kids, the kids weren't mean spirited or mean or anything like that. That's just the way they had been brought up, and that's what they heard around them. It's interesting that their father, the lawyer, never said it, but they grew up. You know, they were around other kids and other people in. The, it was a small town, and they heard other people in the town that would say it in the same way. And I'm like, huh. And I had to kind of adjust my perspective and saying it and, and thinking to myself, yeah, this is how they talked. Back in the yeah, day. yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it first of all, in my mind, the worst part of history, like the shittiest things that happen, are probably the most important over the prettier parts, because it's the shitty parts that you have to learn to not repeat the shitty parts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the shitty parts, in my mind, are probably more important than the pretty parts. So you can know, this was horrible. We can't do that ever again. We have to get past that. Yes. And But even at the same time, even within uh, the black community, there are still remnants of language that is no longer used. Uh, the perfect mm-hmm. example is the NAACP, the National Advancement, you know, colored people. We don't refer to people as colored people anymore. Now, when it was formed, was it was it the eighteen seventies ish that it the NAACP was formed? I think somewhere in the late eighteen hundreds. Yeah, but that was the term that was used. Because uh, mm-hmm. ne- Negro didn't come up until the fifties and sixties, I think, somewhere in there. And so that is a remnant, even by the black community, of a phrase and word that now is considered offensive, <laughs> or you know, but. It's a remnant of that time. Mm-hmm. And so even even in there, there's like remnants of other times. But at the same time, for the NAACP, it gives a, a, a teaching opportunity. Hey, this is what was used then. We've moved past this. <laughs> but we're not going to you know, change the name. First of all, all of the mm-hmm. reprinting of their material would cost a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> That too. And you think about not just the NAACP, but also like the United Negro College Fund. Exactly. You know, those are like institutions, like like you mentioned, that have been around for generations and that still do uh, a considerable measure of good. And yeah. when you when you change the name, even though it's outdated, to put it mildly, as those terms are, you kind of you kind of you kind of destroy the foundation of what they're about when you do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not as though rebranding it will make it completely un- 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 unidentifiable. But 
I feel like it would change the trajectory of, of what they've always been about. That's my feeling about it. That's, that's a perfect way of, of putting that because that sort of, you know, ties in with what I was saying. Hey, we don't use this term anymore, but here's why it started. This was the term mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I mean, it's sort of like what you were talking though about, uh, uh, the book and how it was just how people talked. Uh, I want to say I was probably in junior high, perhaps, and I don't want to say this because I don't want to talk bad about, uh, a family member that's not here anymore, someone that I loved, somebody that was not uh, racist at all. Uh, but uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, when he grew up, black people were referred to as colored people. And so somewhere, you know, when I was in junior high, he said that, and I was just like, Grandpa, we don't, we don't use that term anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was like, we, we just call him black people now. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. say colored. I'm like, that's kind of offensive. You mentioned that. <laughs> but he changed me. after that. He stopped using that term. So, I guess, and you that, know, and that, he just didn't think about it because that's how he grew up. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, he didn't, he didn't mean it in any kind of disrespectful way. It's just that that was just what he was used to saying. But the fact, just like you said, after that, he, he thought about it. He was like, Okay, and he learned. I mean, it it yeah. really is. It really is as simple as that. Unlearn it, and it reminds right. me, of, you know, last year when the uh, the McMichael's trial was going on uh, over the murder of Ahmad um, Arbery, how one of the witnesses <laughs> got on the stand talking about that colored boy. What? 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 Okay. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I know. I, my jaw fell up and I saw that. I was like, what? But we still doing that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. You, you have to be able to recognize that something that was common, not a big deal, you know, in your childhood, early adulthood, things change. And when you realize, you know what? That is offensive. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that. You know, a, a good example. Uh, for us, is um, retarded. It's a, it is a very good example. Yes. When when we were kids, retarded was used all the time. Oh, that's retarded. You know, you didn't like something or whatever. Oh, that's retarded. Or your friend did mm-hmm. something stupid. Look at you, you retard. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, I wouldn't say that to somebody because I realize that's not cool. It's wrong, and it shouldn't be used. But when we were kids. It was used all the time. <laughs> all the time. And we were wrong. We were. And it, like I said, you unlearn. You realize that the world is, is bigger than the bubble you live in. And while you don't, and while you would probably never, while I don't remember myself or anybody that I knew that used it to refer to someone that actually had some kind of, um, Right. <laughs> yeah, some kind of some kind of mental uh, deficiency, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know the right term, so forgive me. We wouldn't say that about someone who actually had something going on. We would say it to somebody that we knew didn't have it going on, but it was to say that we thought they were stupid, right? But or they did we, something stupid, or, or they did something stupid. Yeah. But nowadays, it's like we've unlearned it, and we realize the world is bigger than our bubble. 
it's offensive to somebody and we ought to relearn how we address these things. We can still call people stupid. There's a ton of other words. It is the English language after all. So That's true. That is true. Are there any other books in particular that you can think of off the top? And I'm uh, well, there's that mouse, that French book about fascism yes. that's yes. been in the news recently. Yes. Um, but the one thing I am going to say is I haven't done it yet. I want to get into reading Toni Morrison books because um, she's had several that have been banned, hasn't she? Yes, and it's funny you say that. And so I would like, I would just like to read that because, you know, if you're on the list more than once, you're obviously doing something right. <laughs> well, yeah, she was. <laughs> May she rest in peace. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because um, if, if I may, I want to dabble. Into into one of her books, and I love all of her stuff. She's one of my favorite authors. When I had dreams of actually, you know, being a writer, she was one of the ones I would think of. But um, I don't think I could ever come anywhere close to to the to the depths of lyricism that she had. One of hers in particular that I've always loved. I think I think I've mentioned it a couple of times on our previous episodes is Beloved. Yes, yes. Um, written in nineteen eighty eight. Um, and set in Cincinnati, Ohio, just after the Civil War. Um, the novel is based off of a true story of a woman named Margaret Garner, an enslaved African-American woman who killed her child to spare them of life of slavery. And um, when Morrison was researching this book, she found an article about um, Garner in a 19, excuse me, an 1856 newspaper article published in the American Baptist called A Visit to the Slave Mother Who Killed Her Child. Isn't it weird how literal article headlines were back in the day? That's <laughs> <laughs> so weird. They did not no bury the lead, did they? <laughs> there, was, there was no clickbaity title. It was, this is what you're getting. <laughs> Yeah, um, Beloved has been a, it was a subject of one of our WTFs in the past. Yes. When it was banned I, earlier in the year. Yes, and, and it was it was done here in Virginia. Um, I know that, and, and plenty of other states, obviously. I mean, you mentioned The Bluest Eye, and that was Morrison's first novel, as a matter of fact. But Beloved came along um, some years later, and like I said, based on a true story, um, in that... Um, a woman who, who had escaped a plantation um, with her two young children, made it all the way. And I, was, I, I, I can't remember off the top where the plantation was. It might have been Georgia. I have the book, and I should say this before I go on. It's beautifully written as her, as her work has always been, and especially that book. It is a hard, hard read. Okay. I read it three times in my life and I bought it because that's my goal is to have all of her books, you know, owned. Mm -hmm. So I bought it a while back and it's sitting in my shelf waiting for me. And I'm like, I got to get in the right mindset. But yeah. <laughs> um, like I said, the story is, it's a painful read, but what happens is that the, the escaped uh, slave and her two young children make it all the way north to Cincinnati, Ohio. And she stays, I won't say in relative peace, because it's difficult to have peace when you're on the run like that, knowing at any minute mm -hmm. 
someone can catch up with you, and that's what happens. Um, slave catchers manage to track her down, and she takes her children into a shed. And rather than have her children captured and taken back into slavery, she actually kills the young mm-hmm. Yeah. What happens yeah. 19 years later is that that child, and this is where the, the bit of the supernatural comes into her work, which from time to time it does. A young woman appears, which turns out to be the spirit of her deceased child manifested again. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an absolute, let's say it's an absolutely beautiful work and it's, it's, it's a tough read. And they made a movie out of it in um, 1998 uh, with Oprah Winfrey, because I think she bought the rights. She was eager to do this movie. Um, had Oprah Winfrey, uh, Danny Glover, and Tandewee Newton. Um, the movie was so-so. Um, it's tr- it's tough to try to adapt a book like that, but I, I highly recommend it. But it's it's on the banned book. It's been banned and challenged numerous times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 1995, it was challenged at the St. John's County Schools in St. Augustine, Florida. Challenged in 1996 at the round, in the Round Rock, Texas Independent High School reading list, stating that the book was too violent. Um, in 1997, it was challenged by a member of the Madawaska Maine School Committee because of the book's language. And at that time, the the novel had been required reading for the AP English class for six years. Um, a little more recently, in 2007, two Kentucky parents raised concerns to the Eastern High School Board about violence in the, in the, in the novel. Mm-hmm. And it was taken off, here's the funny part, it was taken off the reading list for the AP English literature class the following year and was replaced with Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. <laughs> oh, that's much better. <laughs> that's much better. <sighs> and in with 2012, that. Yeah. <laughs> in 2012, public hearings were held in Missouri's Plymouth Canton School District to discuss whether a list of books, including Beloved, should be banned from their AP English literature classes. Two parents, Matt and Barb, I'm mad that she goes by Barb, Matt and Barb Dame complained about the content of the book. The superintendent of the district ordered that it be removed from all English curriculums. At the public hearing, the couple claimed that the novel contained, quote, violence and sex acts that provided no historical context. Barb also argued that the book was at a, quote, fifth grade reading level. Many students who came through the public hearing were offended at the idea of banning the book, claiming, quote, African-American history is not pretty, but it's education. The school district decided against the ban and declared that the novel could stay in the high school English curriculum. And in 2016, a fellow by the name of Richard Black, a Republican member of the Virginia State Senate, challenged the book. He claimed the novel was, quote, moral sewage and was too violent to be taught in AP English. He voted for a bill where K-12 teachers would be required to notify parents when sexually explicit content was presented in books. 
as Virginia schools have a similar procedure that allows parents to withdraw children from sex education classes, according to Senator Black, he argued that parents should decide if their children should opt out of reading books in the same manner. And the bill was passed in February 2016, making it the first state to give parents the right to withdraw their children from reading novels. All right. And with that, folks, this just proves what we have said. When it comes to being shitty, humans find a way. Sort of like, to quote Dr. Ian Malcolm, life finds a way, shittiness finds a way. All of this book banning isn't new. The reasons for banning books isn't new. Banning books because it makes you feel guilty about something that happened in the past should not be a thing because if it makes you feel guilty about something that happened in the past it makes you aware so you won't let it happen again in the future i mean where is the where is the issue in that and i've I've said it once and i think it was just as recently as our last episode that when kids i'm excuse me when adults use their kids as excuses to avoid things that are frightening to them then they put their kids in the line of fire and say, we have to protect the children. No, you have to present your own sensibilities. Yep. Just like you said, there's something in this, in this literature that is offensive to you or frightening or maybe reminds you a little bit too much about yourself and you don't want to see that. So yep. instead you say it's harmful to the kids. Yeah. That is, that is correct. Mm. That is correct. And here's, uh, I was going to say, we're, we we need to wrap up. We're like an hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> I will. I, real quick, though. Then this I found funny when I was doing my little bit of research. There's another author that's that's had two of his books on the ban list. And it, it, it amazes me, but I chuckle. It's Shel Silverstein. Yes. I loved his stuff growing up. Loved it. Loved it. Um, two of his bigger books of poems for kids were Where the Sidewalk Ends and A Light in the Attic. Yep. Uh, 1974 for Sidewalk, 81 for Attic. And his, uh, books were, uh, challenged and banned, especially the Sidewalk book was, um, challenged specifically in West Alice, West Milwaukee, Wisconsin libraries in 1986 over fears that it Quote, promotes drug use, the occult, suicide, death, violence, disrespect for truth, disrespect for authority, and rebellion against parents. Okay. That, once again, doesn't surprise me. Just a simple aside, though. Most people are probably not aware that Shel Silverstein wrote Johnny Cash's A Boy Named Sue. Exactly. And if you think about it, if you've read any of his books, that makes perfect sense. It does. It does. And the fact that he's First of all, I have grown to have had, as I got older, and I don't own any of his books, which is a shocker, but I should. But his stuff, he was quite talented, and he just had yeah. a way of, he had a way of talking to kids on a mature level that they could understand, but he was funny, yeah. and it was, yep. it was dark humor, and it was clever shit. Yeah. And if you're telling me that the stuff that he was writing was, Supposed to encourage children to be disrespectful and disobey authority, you need to get out and touch grass more. I keep saying that, but it's it still applies. It still applies. Yep. 
Yep. I, I can't do it. And now I must run out and find both of those books immediately and just have them. In case yeah. I ever, in case I ever have grandchildren, I want them to have them. So. Yes. Yes. So, and with that, listening friends, <laughs> read one of these books that we discussed today. Just one. That's all we're asking. And if I, read um, one. If I, just one. If I could wrap up. Go um, for it. Quick, with a little bitty Silverstein comb. Listen to the mustn'ts. Listen to the mustn'ts, child. Listen to the don'ts. Listen to the shouldn'ts, the impossibles, the won'ts. Listen to the never-haves, then listen close to me. Anything can happen, child. Anything can be. Very. It's a good way to end. And a good way to promote Satanism. Yes. And with that, friends, good evening. <laughs> Bye! As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hit that like button and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Let us hear your feedback. You can find us on our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, on Facebook, or you can email us at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. You can also find further information about our chosen charities at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. And because we always want you to be good to yourselves and others, if you or anyone you know needs help or support, please check out the resources provided by the American Psychological Association at apa.org slash topics slash crisis dash Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a production of Hyper Focus Podcasts.